Well, I want to say good morning to all of you who are watching online. Those who are in our building today, thanks for joining us on this beautiful, beautiful, cold, but beautiful January today. Let, let's little light note. We've been kind of been, things been kind of tough this week. Little light note. So, how many of you think Alabama will win tomorrow? All right. How many of you think Ohio State will win tomorrow? Okay, a few of you. How many couldn't care less who wins tomorrow? All right, just, just wanted to know. Okay, well, we'll see who wins. I think it's going to be roll tide, but we'll see what happens. This past December, Time Magazine released this cover. It was um, said 2020 had a big red X over that number and a simple phrase, the worst year ever. I'll tell you, that's the story of the year you do not want to ever revisit. And I don't mind telling you, it sure feels that way to many of us. Uh, I've said to other people, I've lived a good while now, and I, it's the worst year of my life. In, in more ways than I can even go into, it is absolutely, I'm so glad that year is over. I mean, I've lived more than six decades, and during that time, I've seen a lot of pain, I've seen a lot of problems, seen a lot of pressure. I have never in my life lived through a year that was as taxing, and as tiring and as trying as 2020. Can I get a witness to that? I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. But listen, recently, listen to this. 28 top historians from Ivy League schools were asked whether 2020 was actually the worst year ever. Here's what they said. They said, they said the worst year ever by far was actually 1348 when 200 million people died from the Black Death. They said the second worst year was 1944 during the Holocaust, and, and that's when, of course, even we, know, we know that over 50 million people died. They ranked 2020 as the sixth worst year in history. Now, regardless, think about it. You look back at 2020, we'll always think about one word, COVID, worldwide pandemic, pandemic, draw us to our knees. We had an election that, frankly, many feared would disintegrate into a civil war. And all of that alongside another explosion of racial tension and strife we haven't seen in decades. So no matter where this year ranks in history, you would be hard-pressed to find anybody to say they're not glad that 2020 is over. You won't find anybody who won't say that. I've never been more happy in my life that a year is gone. And it's hard to conceive of how things, frankly, could get worse than they've been for many people. So that's why we decided we would start a series that we're calling All Things New. Because it's a brand new year, which is great. And every new year brings a new opportunity to live for Jesus, to love Jesus, to lead others to Jesus. And let me just be honest with you. Here's one thing that we finally woke up and realized early on as a staff. We realized that this is not a time for our church to return to the way things used to be. I got news for you. Things will never be the way they used to be. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I'm going to make that prediction. Things will never be the way they used to be. I, I, just, I was talking to a doctor last week. They're now telling us even the vaccine that's out may not be the cure-all to end-all. I, I went to see a doctor over the holidays. He walked in to see me, and he, and, and he said, hey, I got good news, Pastor. He said, I just got my vaccine shot. I said, well, then why are you wearing a mask? He said, because they say I still have to wear a mask. Well, what good is the vaccine? He's still going to wear a mask. I mean, but that's just the life that we're, that's where we live right now. And they find a vaccine. Now there are other strains they say are coming out that are even more contagious than the strain we're trying to cure. So our church is not looking to return to the way things used to be. We believe this is a chance for us not just to restart, 
but to reset. And that's why, frankly, we're kind of taking our time deciding what we need to do because we've seen firsthand how quickly life can come to an end, how a world can turn upside down in the snap of a finger, how we thought that every, what we thought, the things that we had, we thought they're safe, they're secure, can be lost in a moment. But 2020 did force us to do something as we entered in 2021. So when life is at its absolute worst, how can you make life its best? It's a great question. When life is its absolute worst, how can we still live life to the best? Well, here's what our church believes. We believe the answer to that question comes straight from God and His Word, and it's captured in our mission statement. This is what it is. To point people to Jesus and inspire them to live the cross-shaped life. You can do that no matter what year you're in. You can do that whether there's a pandemic, an epidemic, or no-demic. It doesn't matter. You can always do that. See, a lot of people out there right now, they're in search of what they call the good life or what some would call your best life now. Well, for Christians, if you're a believer, the only life worth living is a life lived for Jesus, in Jesus, and like Jesus. I believe the best life you can live is what we call the cross-shaped life. And what we mean by the cross-shaped life is a life that stretches in four directions. Worship, disciple, serve, and sin. You can't live a better life. You can't have a more impactful life. You cannot have a more influential life. You, can have not, you cannot even experience more of an eternal life than when you worship, disciple, serve, and you sin. So what we're going to do over the next four weeks, we're going to revisit and specifically look at what that means for your life and for our church. And today, we're going to begin with the very first ones, which, by the way, is not by coincidence. It's by design. It's what we call worship. And we put that first. Why? Because God puts it first. You say, how do you know that? How many of you know what, you may not have them memorized, how many of you know what the Ten Commandments are? You, you know, you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, okay? If you're not, go back and read them, and I want to, point, I want to give your, call your attention to something. Do you realize that the first three commandments that God gave to the entire world, not just to the Jewish people, to the world, has it ever occurred to you they all deal with worship? All the very first three. God says, let's get something out of, out of the way right now. If you want to relate to me the way you ought to relate to me, number one, you recognize me and me alone as God. Number two, you revere me as the only God there is. Don't have any idols before you. And then number three, if I'm the God that you say I am, you respect my name. It's amazing. First three things, he says, look, everything else flows from worship. That is the heart of worship. And when you worship, you worship right from the heart. When you truly do that, all the other commandments will follow. In fact, let me just tell you this. Every time you break one of the Ten Commandments, you know what, you know what caused it? You quit worshiping. You can't worship God and steal from your neighbor. You can't worship from, from God and covet your neighbor's wife. You can't worship from God and commit adultery. You can't worship God and not keep the Sabbath day. You can't do that. It all flows from worship. But that raises a big question. And the question is, what is worship? We talk about worship all the time, but I guarantee you this. I'll bet you if I pull 10 people at random right now in this room, 
And I said, okay, write down on a sheet of paper what worship is. I guarantee you I'd get 10 different answers. We talk about worship all the time, but then we ask the question, what is worship? What's the definition? Well, let me tell you what's amazing. And I never noticed this before until I prepared this message. The Bible talks about worship from the beginning to the end. As a matter of fact, the Bible ends by, by this gigantic worship service we're going to all be engaged in in heaven. But did you know that only one time in the Bible is worship ever defined? That's described all throughout the Bible, particularly in the book of Psalms. It tells us this is what worship looks like. But did you know there's only one time in the Bible where we're told exactly what worship is, how worship is defined? The only time in the entire Bible where the statement is specifically made, this is what worship is. I want to show it to you in a moment. This is what is going to blow your mind. When you come to this one part of the Bible where it says, this is what worship is, guess what? Nothing is mentioned about singing. Nothing is mentioned about preaching. Nothing is mentioned about going to church. Nothing is mentioned about praying. Because all of those are just expressions of worship. But there was a man named Paul who gave us the starting point and the specific definition of worship. I want to share with you what it is. If you brought a copy of God's Word or you want to look in your iPhone or your pad or whatever, I want you to turn to a book called Romans, right? It's about six books in, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, about six books into the New Testament. I want you to look in Romans chapter 12, and I want to show you what a man named Paul said, this is what worship is. It's going to blow your mind what he says. Listen to this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, look what Paul says. This is your true and proper worship. Nothing about singing, nothing about praying, nothing about going to church, Nothing about taking notes in a sermon. Nothing about raising your hands and praising God. None of that. He said, this is your true and proper worship. This is what worship is. And that's why, that's why we believe the first and most important thing we can ever lead you to do is to worship. So based on what Paul said, let me give you my definition of worship. This is the merit definition of worship. You ready? Worship is giving all that I am to all that God is. That's what worship is. Worship is giving all that I am to all that God is. Now, I'm going to say something right now that may upset some of you. It may make you feel uncomfortable. It may, make, it may cause you to get in some deep introspection, and that's okay. But when I studied my, this message and I prepared this, I mean, God convicted my own heart. I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. There are people that come here every Sunday and every church that people attend. Or get on Zoom or whatever. whatever however, you're, however you're worshiping right now or think you're worshiping. You can come to church. You can lift your hands. You can sing to the top of your lungs. You, you can listen to every word that I'm preaching right now. You can take copious notes. You can even drop a dime or a dollar in the offering. But you have not worshiped. Until you have given all that you are to all that God is. And there are many of you that walk out of this building every Sunday and you say you've worshiped and you didn't come within a country mile of worshiping. 
Because you've never given all that you are to all that God is. I mean, let me just be blunt. How can you say you worship God and never give a dime to God's work? How can you even, how can you even go to sleep at night and say, oh, I worship God? No, you didn't. How can you say you've worshiped God when you've got this little pet sin? Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's alcoholism. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's lust. I don't know what it is. How can you say you worship God when you, every day you say, now I've got this little part of sin you can't have. I've got this part of my life you don't own. You cannot and you do not worship God until you've given to God all that you are. And here's the beautiful thing. When you really hit the bullseye of worship, you'll know it. Because Paul says it will radically affect your life. So, how do you know you worship God? Three ways. Paul says it. He says, number one, we worship God when we take the road of total dedication. We worship God when we take the road of total dedication. Let's listen to this verse again. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, I'll come back to that in a moment. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, for Paul, this was a matter of urgency. He says, I urge you. That word urge was used for a general that was exhorting his troops right before they were going to, uh, going to go into battle. And what he's saying is this, where we all must begin with God is worship or we will never end with God. But then he offers a strange command. This is, if you were Jewish back then, you'd tell, wait a minute, what are you talking about? He says, here's how you worship. You offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, you're Jewish. You're reading this for the first time, or you're hearing this for the first time 2,000 years ago. You automatically know, okay, I know what you're doing. You're, you're using the analogy of, of sacrificing an animal as they did in the, in the Old Testament, right? Oh, so let me give you a pop quiz. When you sacrifice an animal, that animal winds up what? Dead, right? We sacrifice turkeys every Thanksgiving. Nobody eats a live turkey, right? It's dead. Wait a minute, though. He talks about a living sacrifice. <laughs> That's an oxymoron. Now, boys and girls, you may not know what an oxymoron is. Okay, let me give you some examples. This is an oxymoron. Of course, I can keep secrets. It's the people I tell them to that can't keep them. Now, that's an oxymoron. Here's another one. Anyone who goes to a psychiatrist ought to have his head examined. That's an oxymoron. Here's another one. Give me a smart idiot over a stupid genius any day. That's an oxymoron. Here's another one. If you fall and break your legs, don't come running to me. That's what my mom used to say, right? Always be sincere, even if you don't mean it. It's oxymoron. The best cure for insomnia is to get a lot of sleep. Oxymoron. Here's the last one. I have never liked you, and I always will. That is an oxymoron. When you sacrifice something, you give up all possession. You give up all ownership. In the Old Testament, there was no such thing as a partial sacrifice. You, you, you didn't just sacrifice, when you sacrificed a lamb, you didn't just give a leg or an ear. It was a total sacrifice, no strings attached. And what Paul is saying is, this is what worship is. Here's what worship is. It's when you place all of you, your desires, your wants, 
your privileges, your rights, your demands, your goals on the altar of God's will. And see, this is where the problem comes in. This is why many of us never get within a country mile of worship. We don't want to sacrifice ourselves. We don't want to give all that we are to all that God is. Here's what we want to give God. You know what we want to give God? We want to give God things. So here's what we do. We give God some of our money. We give God a certain amount of our time. And what Paul is saying is, you will never ever get to true worship until you understand. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. God is not after your money, and God is not after your time. God wants you. Jesus didn't die for your money. He didn't die for your time. He died for you. And because God knows what he wants and what he desires is your complete surrender. See, the heart of worship is to worship right from the heart. That's why Paul says you've got to sacrifice your body. You've got to be a living sacrifice. What does that mean? That means you make up your mind every day before you get out of bed. You know what, Lord? With my eyes, I'm only going to see what you want me to see. With my ears, I'm only going to listen to what you want me to listen to. With my hands, I'm only going to do what you want me to do. With my feet, I'm only going to go where you want me to go. With my mouth and my lips, I'm only going to say what you want me to say. And that's what so many people are saying about the Christian life. Listen, let me tell you this. In order to get the most out of life, you've got to give up all of your life. In order to get the most out of your life, you've got to give up all of your life. That's what Jesus meant when he said, remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, if you want to gain your life, you must, what did he say? You got to lose it. Sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not right. It's, it's, it's not. Jesus said, hey, you really want to live life the way you ought to live it? Yes, Lord, I do. You got to lose it. You got to give it to me. That's what worship's all about. Worship starts in the heart. And if your heart's not ready to worship, then you're not ready to worship. And so you, you got to give God your body and all that you are as a living sacrifice to him. And here's what Paul says. Paul said, now, when you do that, that's your true. That is your proper worship. By the way, that word true is a word that gives us the word logical. That's your logical worship. Here's what Paul really meant. So I want you to think about this. If you really believe God is who God says he is, and if you really believe that God has done for you what you believe he has done for you, then the only logical response for you is to give all that you are to all that he is. The only logical response is to worship him by your complete surrender. But then he says this. He says, it's your reasonable worship or your reasonable service. Because some of you may have your translation. This is your reasonable service. That word can also be translated service. And I believe that Paul meant to do that. I believe it means both worship and service. Because, you know, that's why one of our core strategies is to serve. But here's the mistake we make. Too many people make the mistake of differentiating between worship and service. They think there are totally separate acts. We think worship is what we do on Sunday morning and service is what we do during the week. That's totally wrong. The truth of the matter is we are to serve the Lord as we worship him and we worship the Lord as we serve others. That's why I want you to hear this. This is so important. Your worship 
And this is where a lot of people think, that a lot of people, Christians think this way. That's why they live the way they live. So many believers think your worship begins on Sunday and it ends on Sunday. It begins on Sunday and it ends on, on Sunday. I got news for you. Worship never stops. I told our staff this morning, we were having our, our prayer time before I, when we got here this morning. And I'm going to tell you what I told our staff. If you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear this in this minute. This is, the, this is the one statement. Take this one home. You do not come to church to worship. Now, if you heard that, hold your hand up. Real, I want to make sure you heard me. Okay, buddy. I know you're kind of shocked. You do not come to church to worship. You bring your worship to church with you. If you didn't come in here already worshiping God, you didn't worship God just now. Because worshiping God is a 24-7 deal. A.W. Tozer said this. If you will not worship God seven days a week, you don't worship him on one day a week. So to worship God, you take the road of total dedication. Now, here's what happens, Paul says. Paul says, when that happens, when you take the road of total dedication, he says, then you will see the result of a spiritual transformation. When you take the road of total dedication, you'll, you'll know it because you see the result of a spiritual transformation. In other words, what you're about to find out is this. If you walk out that door in a minute the same way you walked in, you didn't worship. I don't know what you did. You didn't worship. Dr. Rogers used to say, when you come worship, leave mad, sad, or glad, but don't leave the same way you walked in. You can't. It's impossible. Because when you truly worship, here's what will happen. When you walk out those doors today, when you walk out of your home today, you'll see the world through the eyes of God. You'll hear the world with the ears of God. You'll think about this world with the mind of God. So Paul says this. Do not conform. Now, this is what happens when you worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, two concepts jump out immediately, right? One is confirmation, and the other is transformation. Let me tell you what's happening to all of you right now. Listen to me right. It's happening right this minute. Right now, you're either being conformed or transformed. Can I give you a real practical example? If you're sitting there thinking right now, when is this going to be over? I want to go eat. You're being conformed. But if you're thinking right now is, boy, God, I've not worshiped you like I ought to. You, you convicted me today. There's an area of my life I need to surrender to you. Now you're being transformed. So you can live your life one of two ways. You're going to relate to the Lord one of two ways. You're either going to be conformed or you're going to be transformed. Now, to be conformed is real simple. It means to be molded into someone else's shape. Uh, a man named J.B. Phillips translated the Bible, and his translation said this, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Let me tell you what, what that means. And if the shoe fits, wear it. I have pastored thousands of people. And I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to be ugly when I say this or unkind. I'm just telling you the truth. A lot of people I pastored are what I call chameleon Christians. How many of you know what a chameleon is? Okay, if you don't, let me tell you. A chameleon is someone, it's an animal. It changes color with its surroundings. So if its surrounding is blue, it'll be blue. If its surrounding is green, it will be green. It takes on the color of whatever, whatever dominant colors are around. In other words, it conforms. And I'm just going to be very honest. This is where most Christians live their life. Here's how they live. They go to church 
and they look like, and they act like, and they talk like, and they sound like churchgoers ought to look like, and act like, and talk like, and sound like. But the moment they walk out the door of the church, what do they do? They look like the world, and they act like the world, and they talk like the world, and they sound like the world, and they do like the world. And the truth of the matter is, let's just be honest, most people have a herd mentality. They, they don't want to be different. They don't want to stand out. They don't want to be criticized. They want to be ostracized. They want to be with, in, with the in crowd. And they cannot stand the thought of being ridiculed or rejected because maybe what they believe goes against the grain. So they conform, which is just another word of caving in. And Paul says we're not to be conformed. We are to be transformed. To put it actively, we're not to be conformers. We are to be transformers. And by the way, the Greek word there for transform gives us the English word metamorphosis. You kids, if you go to school long enough, you'll study in, in a biology class. What metamorphosis is, is a change on the outside that comes from the inside. For example, a butterfly, you know this, some of you know this now, a butterfly is the result of a metamorphosis. It's hard to believe, but that slimy, grimy caterpillar that's crawling around on the, on the ground, it forms a cocoon around its body, and before long, that cocoon will sprout wings and legs and a body, and out comes this beautiful butterfly. What happened? It was changed on the outside because of a change on the inside. I tell Teresa this all the time. I'm more in love with my wife today than I've ever been in my life, and I told her, I said, you know, when I got married to you, you transformed me. So what do you mean? I said, boy, the minute you said I do, and then we kissed and I was your husband, I became Prince Charming. <laughs> there was this transformation in my life. And see, the way that change takes, takes place is by the renewing of the mind. You can't worship God and think the way the world thinks and see the way things, these, these, these things the way the world sees things. Because here's what God does. It's something we don't get. You need to teach your kids this. When you worship God, he doesn't change your heart. He changes your mind. He changes the way you think. Psychologists tell us that 98 to 99% of our thoughts are habitual. In other words, the thoughts you thought yesterday are about the thoughts you think today. And the thoughts you think today are about like the thoughts you're going to think tomorrow. Paul says, your mind can either become a prison and keep you captive to the way the world thinks, or it can be a bridge to literally having the mind of Christ and thinking the way God thinks. But here's what Paul said. He says, your mind has to be renewed day by day. I want to give you a thought. Your mind needs a tune-up every morning. Seriously. Your mind needs a tune-up every morning. You say, well, how do you do that? Where do you go to get a tune-up? You ready? Right there. That's where you get your tune-up. You go to God's Word. You take time. You, you put everything else down. You read God's Word. Why? Why are you doing that? You're getting into the mind of God. You're learning the ways of God. And guess what happens? When you get into the mind of God and you get into the ways of God, you start looking at the world through the eyes of Scripture. And you start responding to the world the way scriptures, Scripture commands. So let me put it to, to you this way. If you are always thinking of things the way the world normally thinks about things, you need a mind renewal. So let me give you now the difference between confirmation and transformation. Now, before I put this up on the screen, when I put this up on the screen, I want you to be honest with yourself. Look yourself in the mirror of your heart and ask yourself this question. Am I a conformer or am I a transformer? You ready? Here's the difference. 
If the world looks at you and sees a mirror, that is its own reflection, that's confirmation. But when the world looks at you and sees a window, and in that window is Jesus, that's transformation. That's the difference. Do people look at you and see a mirror? Oh, you're just like me. Or they look at you and see a window and say, oh man, that is Jesus. And see, the mind is the key. The gateway to your heart is through your mind. And when you saturate your heart with the Word of God and you fill your mind with the wisdom of God, when you fill your mind with the wisdom of God, then you'll worship God. Well, guess what happens? When you finally get to that point where you're thinking God's thoughts, you're seeing the way God sees things, you're looking at things the way God looks at things, you're processing the things the, things, the way God processes things, he said, here's the last, and this is the best part of all. He says, you'll get the reward of personal revelation. You'll get the reward of personal revelation. Here's what Paul is saying. It's so wonderful. This is so practical. Paul says, James, if today you take the road of total dedication, you will experience that spiritual transformation. And you'll get the greatest reward in this life. Here's what he says. Then you'll be able to test and to prove what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You cannot separate the worship of God from the will of God. And it is the will of God that we truly worship him and we truly worship him. And when we do, he will reveal his will to us. Here's a principle to remember. When you do what God wants you to do, he will reveal to you what to do when you don't know what to do. It may sound a little bit vague, but it's really true. When you do what God wants you to do, he will reveal to you what to do when you don't know what to do. You know, people come to me sometimes and say, man, I just don't know what to do. Here's always going to be easy. I say, look, you don't know what to do right now. You don't know what to do tomorrow. No, do you know what to do right now? Yeah, well, then do that. When you do what you know to do, you know that's what God wants you to do. Then in due time, he'll tell you what you won't need to do when you don't know what to do. By the way, worship starts in the heart. And to stay in the heart, you've got to share worship with each other. So while I'm in the neighborhood, let me just say this. If you really worship God every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, let's say you really do. You know what happens on Sunday? You don't have to come to church. You want to come to church. Nobody has to make you, beg you, plead with you. It doesn't matter if it's cold or hot, rainy or dry. It doesn't matter. When you really worship God six days a week, you want to share that worship with other people because the Bible makes it plain. We're to worship God together. By the way, let me just say this. I've said this, I've said this so many times. I'm going to say it again. These people, I, you know, they give me an itch I can't locate when I hear this. Well, I don't believe you have to be a Christian to go to church. Two things I want to say about that statement. Number one, it is a true statement. Number two, it is a very revealing statement. Because if you don't have any desire to come one day a week, one day, and that's part of a day. If you don't have any desire to come to God's house and get with God's people and worship God together, what on earth are you going to do when you get to heaven? Because by the way, you don't get to check out in heaven. 
You don't say, no thanks, I don't feel like coming today. Do you know what we're going to be doing for all eternity? Worshiping God together. You know what we're doing right now? This is a dress rehearsal for eternity. You better get used to it. You better fall in love with it. You better learn what it means to do it. Because that's what we're going to do for all eternity. That's why being committed to the church, being involved in church, worshiping together in church is such a big, big deal. There was a little boy that went to church with his dad one Sunday morning. And boy, before he got down, you know, got into bed that night, he knelt down beside his bed and he prayed this prayer. He said, here's what he said. Dear God, we had a great time at church today. I wish you'd been there. I wonder how many times God wants to write so many of his children a letter after Sunday is over and say this. Dear blank, church was awesome today. I showed up in a powerful way. I wish you'd been there. See, to God, there's nothing more important in your life than being in the will of God because that's the only way life to be lived. And you ought to be obsessed in knowing and doing God's will. Let me tell you why. Paul says this. Never be afraid of the will of God for three reasons. He said, number one, he said, God's will is good. It's good. Now, if that's true, you should never be afraid of the will of God. Listen, know this about the will of God. It's not always good. God's will is not always good. I've learned this. God's will is always better for you than anything that you could have come up with on your own. Anything that's in the will of God is always better for you than anything that lies outside of the will of God. Let me tell you, I mean this with all of my heart. If it is the will of God that I die today, I'd be better dead today than alive tomorrow. I'd, be better, I'd, rather, be, I'd rather be dead in the will of God than alive outside the will of God. It is good. But then he said, it's also pleasing. What does that mean? He said, look, when you do my will, it'll be pleasing to you and it'll be pleasing to me. Because the greatest, sweetest, happiest place you'll ever be in your life is when you're in the center of God's will for your life. So it's good, it's pleasing, but then he, this, gets, this is the best part. He said, it's perfect. Now, the last time I checked, you can't beat perfection. And, and you need to remember that God loves you so much, he doesn't want what's good for you, he doesn't even want what's better for you, he wants what is best for you and what is perfect. Well, what's perfect? His will for your life. So, I want to ask you a question. We're starting a new year. We're just a few days in. Are, are you ready to make this a year of worship for you? I mean, real worship. I, I didn't say come to church. I didn't say get in a small group, but we'll talk about that later. You say, yeah, I do. I want to make this a worship. We, we, we want to help you. I want to give a boost to your worship. So, we're beginning the year as a church reading through God's Word. And tomorrow, beginning tomorrow, I'm asking all of you that will and can, to begin a 21-day Daniel fast, which goes from tomorrow to the end of the month. We're going to ask you to read your Bible every day because you cannot worship God and ignore God's Word. So, we've even given you a plan on how to read your Bible through with all of us together. You can join us. You can do this today, and you can begin the fast today by either going to crosspointchurch.com slash fast. I went to it yesterday and just, you know, because I'm going grocery shopping for my, for my fast now. You can go to, to crosspointchurch.com forward slash fast or text fast to 56525. And I would encourage you, the Daniel fast is, is not a total fast. It's, it's, it's basically water, fruits, and vegetables. And look, just take a look at some of you. I'm not going to call names. Some of you need to go on a fast. That's all I want to leave it right there, okay? Now, 
Put your pens down, put your pads down, close your Bible, look up. Give me your full attention. We're going to be through. Give me two minutes. I'm a big history buff. And one of the parts of our history that's always fascinated me is World War II. And uh, I've been on Netflix because of the COVID and all that. And I've watched a lot of documentaries on World War II. So on March the 5th, 1945, the Kamikaze Special Attack Unit was formed just days before much of downtown Tokyo was incinerated by American bombers. Now, you've heard of kamikaze pilots. You know what that is. The word kamikaze in Japanese means divine wind, divine wind. What Japan was hoping for was that their kamikaze pilots would be a divine wind that would keep the United States away from their shores. Now, they had a special name for those pilots. We, we call them kamikaze pilots. They called themselves the Tokatai. And that referred to these special suicide mission pilots. These were naval cadets. Many of them were teenagers. Never hardly even flown a plane. And they would assemble these young men together, and they'd hear this speech from a senior officer telling them, it is your honor, not just your duty, it is your honor to die for the emperor. That is your honor. And then they were handed a form. And they asked them to select from one of three options. Number one, I do not want to join the Tokatai. That was option one. Option two, I would like to join the Tokatai. Number three, it is my fervent desire to join the Tokatai. You know what's amazing? Without exception, when they ask all of those young, many of them teenagers, when they ask all of those young pilots, which option do you choose? Every single one chose number three. It is my fervent desire to join the Tokatai. And as one of them put it, he said this, when we became soldiers, we offered our lives to the emperor. Therefore, special attacks is just another way of performing our military obligation. Boy, I tell you, I thought about that. Here were these young teenage boys, and they were ready, willing, able, even enthusiastic to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice, flying planes into ships because they worshiped a false God. And I say to us today, how much more should we to the only God, the true God, the holy God, the gracious God who gave his life for us, how much more every day should we give him our bodies as a living sacrifice in worship. Would you pray with me right now? With his bowed and with eyes closed, I want to say a word to you this morning, and I hope you'll hear this. You can't worship God until you know God. And you cannot know God until you give God all that you are to all that he is. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never surrendered everything you are to Him, I mean everything, I'm going to ask you to do that right now. You know why for some of you, God's not real to you? He really isn't. You know why? It's not because of Him. It's because of you. You may be one of those people that, you know, you walked down the aisle of a church when you were nine years old or you fell out a car or you got baptized, but there was no transformation in your life because you've never, ever really given to God all that you are. That's what God demands. 
Jesus Christ died on the cross and came back from the grave, not for you to give part of what you are, but all of what you are to him. He gave all that he was to you. You need to give all that you are to him. And if you've never really done that today, I'm going to invite you to do it right now. Boys, girls, grown men, grown women, you're in this building, you're watching by Zoom, you're watching by TV right now. Would you make the, would you right now offer yourself as a living sacrifice? Just say this to the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, today, believing you died for my sins, believing God raised you from the dead, believing you're alive right now, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I repent and turn away from my sins. And just like you gave your all to me, I give my all to you. If you prayed that prayer, you're in this room right now, or you prayed that prayer and you're watching by, by, by on a website or computer or iPhone, whatever. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to do this right now. Right now, do it this minute. I want you to eat, go on your, you can go to your phone, your iPad or whatever. Just go to crosspointchurch.com slash decision or Right now, if you say, man, I prayed that prayer. If you're a little boy or a little girl and you prayed that prayer, tell your mom and dad to do this for you. Text yes Jesus to 56525. That's all you need to do. What will happen when you do that? You'll find information there to help you begin your walk with God. If you're in the room right now and you prayed that prayer and you'd like to talk to somebody about your spiritual decision, when you leave the building today out in the lobby, there's a table called Connection Point. You go to that table. Now, for all of us in this room, what I talked about today, worship. That's why we say, who's your one? Everybody was put on this planet to worship God, everybody. Nobody was to get the past. Nobody was. But you can't worship God till you know God. You can't know God till you know Jesus. And you won't know Jesus unless somebody tells you about him. And that's why that's our one. Our purpose for our one is simply to share the one that loved them, that died for them, so they could in turn worship the one that created them. So, Father, my prayers in the name of Jesus. I pray that some of us that came today, some of us that listened today that realize, you know what? I thought I worshiped God, but I really haven't. But, Lord, beginning today, I understand now what that is. And I'm giving all that I am to all that you are. Make my life a life of worship. Lord, may it happen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, would you stand to your feet right now? All of you just stand right now. We've got a one song we want to sing, which is such a sweet song, one of my favorite songs. And then we've got a word for you, and you'll be dismissed.